You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian. With me, as always, the podcast's second designated player, Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Hey. 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 Oh. Oh, okay. Uh, a little youthful there. A little uh, little energetic. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I, well, you know, it, I made sure to, like, rip a coffee before I jumped on here. Uh, yeah. Double shot that affogato, you know, uh, over Fancy. the top of that that nice frappuccino foam and stuff. Yeah. Don't tell people I still drink at Starbucks. That's that's not cool in Seattle. You uh, you lost all of the youthful cred you got with Hey Ho by saying affogato. So, um, you know, that's we're right back to where we started. It's a zero sum game now. I'm sorry, uh, I know about coffee. I'm an old to, person. Ian. Back I'm to an old even person. game state with the with the youth demographics, and that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so we're recording uh, the day after a historic occasion, the United States Open Cup. Lamar Hunt, Houston, three, Philadelphia, zero. Uh, Houston, first-time winners? I don't know. Probably. Yes, first-time winners of the United States Open Cup. The Lamar Hunt edition, yes. Uh, you know, uh, overall, it was an entertaining game if you like the Houston Dynamo or Mara Manaltis, and um, I do like Mara uh, so that was kind of fun to see. Um, you know, honestly, if I'm being 100% honest with you, Harrison, I um, kind of feel bad for Philadelphia. I really feel like uh, Philadelphia as a franchise needed that win. That own goal by Austin Trustee was one of the saddest things I think I've witnessed in a long time. Just the absolute, he looked like he would, he had been uh, dumped on prom like that absolute dejection <laughs> you know what the uh the english used to the english announcers used to say they used to go he looks like he wants the ground to swallow him whole and i was like last night when i saw that i was like yeah i i see what they mean i see 100 <laughs> percent what they mean well wait and trustee's only like what 18 yeah poor kid I mean, that's got to be, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I don't want to minimize the accomplishments that I've had in my own life, you know, professionally, you know, uh, but I don't know if I've ever done anything quite that uh, noticeable, you know, in front of hundreds of thousands of people watching. And and maybe that's even being a little bit kind to how many viewers actually tuned in (laughs) to the game. But uh, plenty of people saw that own goal. Plenty of people see the the highlight, uh, you know, passed along in uh, social media, and you know, uh, in a, in a finale, that's that's pretty tough. That's that's something that people are gonna, when you go back and watch over historically over the years, that's gonna be one that uh, certainly Philadelphia fans remember as well as uh, Houston Dynamo fans. Can I tell you a story? When I was five years old, uh, five year old Ian playing in his first soccer game. And I was playing stopper, which was a position back then. And um, a ball was up in the air, and I tried my best to head the ball, and I headed it behind me into the goal. And I was so distraught that I just started crying right there on the field at five years old. So much so that one of the parents on the team shouted, it's okay, that doesn't count. It doesn't count if you put it in your own goal. And I believe that, and that's what got me through the rest of the game. And later I found out I was lied to. Um, and I felt bad again. But there you go. So, Trusty, listen, buddy. You need to talk. I'm here for you, man. I've been there. <laughs> you can, you can you know, trade stories from, you know, yeah. The, yeah. the youth soccer realm. His U.S. Open Cup, my first regular season recreational soccer league at Readout Soccer. Uh, similar similar occasions. Um, yeah, it was uh, – it, that was a bummer. I, I always feel for the, the defender that, that – that, has that unfortunate distinction sometimes it's their fault sometimes i don't know i i didn't really feel like trustee it's just it's just a bad angle i just it was just a weird situation i i hope he um you know 
it wasn't like Philadelphia were coming back before that. You know what I'm saying? He no, they really the weren't. And they didn't cost them the game. I mean, if you really look at that game, uh, after the first uh, 50 minutes, uh, this game was kind of decided at that point. And they, that was still 2 nothing up there. Uh, Philly needed to make a change at halftime. Uh, yeah. There, there's so many. First of all, that midfield was kind of nowhere to be seen in the first half, let alone in the second half. And they really needed to go to a four-four-two. And really, they kept trying. Fafapika uh, uh, just kept trying to cut inside, and they kept playing with those three attackers right there, sitting in front of uh, Houston's defense, and it allowed Houston just to bring six defenders and really heavy and thick. And there was really no width. Keegan uh, Rosenberry just kept on trying to overlap to create a little bit of uh, width behind uh, Demarcus Beasley and loop some uh, some crosses in, but that really was ineffective ineffective I mean there's there's just so many uh, orange jerseys in that box that just kept spraying stuff away they needed to bring a calm in and he didn't come in till what the 85th minute or something like that it, it, it was just far too late it, it you know uh, for as good as uh, um, Bedoya has been all year I felt like he was really ineffective uh, they really did a great job of man marking him and limiting um, his ability to kind of uh, turn uh, on once they uh, won a turnover from Houston, they really limited what he was able to do. They were able to Houston was able to break up the rhythm of uh, Philadelphia's possession game, and you know it gave Philadelphia a ton of set pieces. But they were just really terrible all night with them, and they couldn't do anything with those set pieces. I don't even know if they even created a shot off a set piece last night. Um, it was really. Uh, just really ineffectual. So uh, Houston did a great job. Uh, Minotas, as you mentioned, was was uh, a great. Albert Elise was a little bit um, a little bit transparent in the stuff that he did. It wasn't. Uh, it was a little bit subtle. Um, I say transparent. Maybe just it wasn't uh, bright, shiny play all the time from him. From somebody that we see just makes. Uh, some beautiful and amazing standout plays, uh, but what he did was uh, very, uh, very effective, and it gave uh, put um, notice in high leverage situations to create shots, and you know he created a couple goals off of it. You know, one of the things I love about Minotas, um, and, and actually, like, it, it was in that first finish of the game where he goes down and actually uses his head at a very unusual time. Um, it was perfect. Like that was just such like a, a good instinctual play, and the ball from Elise was excellent. Um, so yeah, you know, it, with these games, it's I I hate that they're played at a venue that can be hosted. Like this, a cup final needs to be at a neutral ground. I think <laughs> like for something like this, um, I know that MLS Cup there's that instead of built into the regular season, and so that works for me. But in this kind of tournament, you know, you'd like to see this someplace neutral. I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't get people to show up now that I think about it. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. It, it is a little bit frustrating that the turnout wasn't great. And I get that. There's probably a lot of people uh, that have a lot of really good ideas uh, about that and how that can be maximized and, uh, you know, get more people to, to watch a, what should be a really important game. I mean, you know, Houston Dynamo qualified for the Champions League through this game. So, I mean, that's... That's huge, that and that should be celebrated, and that should be something that um, their a their fan base gets a chance to celebrate, but also b uh, Philadelphia has their fans uh, in equal attendance. So um, yeah, it's 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 a tough situation, and there's a lot of complications, especially with a country of our size. So yeah, maybe just <clears throat> just play them all, um, you know, just at, at my house. That would be cool. You got like um, a backyard or something. Yeah, just like my neutral venue. I'll set it up. Sell some snow cones. The uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I do think everything you said is true. Uh, it, it's a tough ask for Philadelphia to come out. You're on the road. You're in Houston, which isn't an easy place to play. You know, you've got all this nervous energy. You've got this whole finals thing going on in your head, and then like four minutes in, and you're down, and it's just like a gut punch. And it's hard to it's hard to, to stagger back from that. And well, it wasn't I, I, it wasn't just that they're down; they got had a goal waved off, right? Yeah. From from the time that Fafa scored that goal that was ruled offsides to offside. Excuse me, because there's going to be somebody that was like, "You said offsides, and that was pluralization." It was, was going to be me. It was going to be me. That's my pet peeve. 
So from the time that Fafa like scored that goal uh, and just had, like it was a half a step off sides to um, Albert Elise jetting down that uh, as he always does down that sideline and getting to the end line and crossing the ball in that was like less than thirty seconds. Yeah, That's I mean a gut maybe punch. twenty tops. It's a gut punch. It's it's hard to come back from that. So um, you know, but uh, Houston did a lot of things right. You you, you can't say that they didn't do. Um, they didn't nail their game plan. You know what? One thing I think that caught not just Philadelphia, but specifically Jim Curtin off, and probably several the third party viewers like myself that are, are a little bit more familiar with the league that tuned in, knowing I had no idea that Cabezas was going to start this game. Yeah, he's been back a that little bit. That was excellent. Yeah, they've been very, very good since he's come back. It, 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 you've seen an uptick in form again from Houston. Um, I think they've won their last three with him. So, uh, you, you know, it, it, he, we've talked about it before on this show and, and in print that, that he is, uh, he is such an important player for them. And, and I think a lot of their, um, a lot of their troubles this, this season came down to, to not having that guy in the lineup. Well, I, I mean, yeah, he started, uh, against Orlando. He just only played 45 minutes though. Uh, so yeah, again, it, it was a little, um, I didn't think that he was going to start. I thought they were going to go uh, a little bit more uh, what they've been all season, but it was still uh, excellent to see. I'm really excited that you know he's getting minutes again. So yeah, I, I think that this was in a position where, and again, this is another thing about this this kind of cup final that was always odd. Like Philadelphia, definitely still playing for a playoff spot. Definitely still very much in that race and that conversation. Houston, this is it. This is what they're playing for this year. This is the most important. Um, you know, occasion that they're going to, to, to have. So uh, I, I can see why they kind of just threw caution to win with Cabezas and, 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 and gave him the nod. Well, and, and I think that's an important thing, right? Like this is a really young team. Don't waste this experience, right? Um, this was a really physical game and this is exactly what a lot of teams are going to come against, uh, against Philadelphia, whether that's, uh, I would imagine Columbus being one of the te- teams, maybe NYCFC. Um, you're going to, you're going to have a team that is you're going to go on the road, Philadelphia, most likely they're, they're most likely going to go on the road. And we'll talk about this more in depth here in a few weeks, but they're going to go on the road. They're going to face a team that's going to be overly physical with them. And they're going to try to disrupt the rhythm with the possession through the midfield. And they've got to figure out a way that they're going to combat that. And they have to be ready for it uh, because if, if they go on the road and they have the same thing happen to them, they're going to drop. They're going to, everything's going to, it's going to be a repeat of this game all over again. They're going to have to take a moment, take the gut punch, learn from this lesson because they're a very capable team of going and winning a playoff game on the road. Uh, I've been thinking about how Philadelphia has been around for a while now and it's, yeah, like I said at the beginning, uh, uh, you know, of this, I, I do kind of feel like this. This was a, this would have been a big win for them as an organization um, to kind of finally hang their hat somewhere. Uh, so, you know, hopefully this kind of redoubles the team's, uh, you know, motivations and efforts going forward, and they can make, uh, you know, I, I, I do believe they have the ability to surprise somebody in the playoffs. Uh, I do believe they could catch a good team on a on a on a slightly bad day and and take advantage of it. So. Uh, certainly, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that race, uh, going forward. Uh, <laughs> uh, other news, uh, this week, anything else? Oh, yes. Uh, Vancouver, uh, ding dong, uh, Carl Robinson is gone. Um, this was, yeah, you seem a little more baffled by this than me. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 and we need to differentiate this, right? Because yeah. Vancouver fans really took me wrong as if I was defending that he didn't need to be fired. Yeah. No, Carl Robinson could be gone for all I care. He needed to be let go. They've been doing a lot of things bad. We've talked about that like ad nauseum for yeah. – well, since you've, been, since you've been on the podcast with me for at least almost a year, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. It, uh, the only thing odd is the timing, and I will admit that it is extremely odd. Uh, Vancouver are definitely not out of any playoff race right now, and so to kind of throw something uh, like this into the works is uh, it's a gamble. Uh, you know, sometimes teams can bounce back from this. Sometimes teams respond very well to to a coaching change. Um, sometimes you know they get completely lost at sea. 
Uh, certainly not a gamble. It's certainly not any dice I would have rolled at uh, this particular juncture of the season where I Vancouver, but uh, I, I think there were probably other things at hand that, that may have forced them to go ahead and make that move. I think it's really funny from the perspective of you have all these people that uh, are still holding on to like the 2% chance that Toronto makes the playoffs. And then the, those same people are the ones uh, going, well, of course you're going to car, fire Carl Robinson. It's not like they're going to make the playoffs. When in no, reality, they, they, ha- they have <laughs> yeah, like six right times the higher probability yeah. of making the playoffs than Toronto does. Yeah, they're so, still in that for sure, especially if Seattle continues to like, uh, lose games now, uh, go back to their, their losing ways. Um, you know, yeah, there's spots up for grabs. Not only that, but RSL itself is it hasn't been great on the road. They have a tough time of it. LA Galaxy, who knows where you're, you're going to get from them uh, week in, week out. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. All right, so let's pull this back a little bit more and ignore the timing and kind of just admit probably that it was time for Carl Robinson to go in general. Uh, this is a positive step for this team, I think, overall. Yeah, so um, it kind of feels, and you can correct me if uh, if I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like Vancouver jettisoned him a little bit early, and this is the conjecture, right? Is this is a Mark Dos Santos off? Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's the first one to Mark Dos Santos. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a play for Mark Dos Santos. I believe that that is very likely. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think that um, if I, I mean, that would. The the problem with that narrative and that structure is that it assumes that the Vancouver front office and board is acting um, reasonably and rationally. And I'm not sure that that's something that they've shown themselves to be uh, uh, practitioners of. But 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 I do think that it would explain a lot of the curious timing of this particular scene. So for those of you that aren't aware, uh, Mark DeSantos is an assistant uh, manager at Los Angeles Football Club, uh, Canadian manager, uh, very well respected um in his field. Uh, San Jose, of course, fired their manager last, last week. Uh, and um, they have made this, you know, it's come out that they're very interested in acquiring uh, Mark Dos Santos services as manager. Uh, Vancouver, probably Jettison Robinson. They could make a play for Mark Dos Santos as well because of the San Jose situation. Otherwise, they probably would have just waited till the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have Vancouver, San Jose, and then that doesn't even take into account the fact that LA Galaxy uh, are going to be looking for a coach in the second half uh, or in for the second offseason in a row. Orlando, I mean, what's going on there? That could uh, that that could turn into another opening. So there's lots of different suitors that Mike that might be uh, looking for at Mark Dos Santos as an option. Vancouver, obviously, he's at the top of the list. Now, over the last, I don't know, you've been in Nerd League for like three years, so we've gotten to know each other a lot better as far as what um, our, our standpoints and, and our views. We've talked a lot about a lot of things in philosophy and soccer. Mark Dos Santos, for you, you've been preaching Mark Dos Santos since I've met you. Like this has been one of your, this has been one of the things that you have been very firm on, and you absolutely are preaching the gospel of Mark Dos Santos. Why? It's hard to explain. And yeah, you're right. This is like I have an irrational love of Mark Dos Santos, um, possibly because I don't know. Like I haven't followed a lot of the teams. He's, you know, he. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, like, let me just. Okay, the geek out here for a second and just sort of... Uh, yeah, look geek at what out, this... dude. I do it okay. every week. So, take, take some time. I mean, this guy has managed, you know, at all levels of the, the American pyramid, except for having, like, really an MLS team. Um, you know, since 2007, you know, he started coaching. He's won the, he won the Canada Cup. Uh, 2008, he won uh, the Canada Soccer League Division Championships, the Canadian Soccer League Regular Season Championships, nominated for Coach of the Year. Um, 2009, won USL Championship, came in for a team that was not was so bad they fired their coach and won the thing. Um, nomination for Coach of the Year. Then he has kind of like a little bit of a setback in his second season with Montreal at the USL level. Uh, he resigns, goes off to Brazil, where he manages, uh, where he basically works as like an academy director. Uh, for Palmeiras, which is a really big Brazilian club. Um, and he's great there, too. Uh, they're Brazilian youth champions under 15. Uh, then he comes back to the NASL, wins manager of the year in 2015, wins the fall season, 
makes it to the championship game. Um, and then in 2017, wins manager of the year again and uh, for the San Francisco Deltas, which was his last big job. Um, and then they win the NASL game, uh, or the championship again there as well. And this guy is gone. Uh, you know, he was at Swope Park when Swope Park was doing really well in USL. Um, they finished runners up, I think, the one year he was in charge of them. So he's moved around a lot. He's been in a lot of the lower division teams. And I think this is a guy that you just, I want to see get his chance. I want to see him called up. Like, let's get some of these dominant commuters out of this MLS managing merry-go-round. And I want to give this guy a shot. I, I, there's a lot I like about him. Um, things I've read about his coaching style, he's very tactical. Like, he's very, very much like a, a, a tactician more so than he is. Um, a fitness guy like he doesn't do beep tests he's not into all that stuff like he just wants to practice tactics and he wants teams to play smart and, and, and incisive soccer um i think just every player i've ever read that's played for him comment on him has been nothing but glowing um he speaks four languages uh he's kind of that portuguese he's not even like an old soccer player like you don't know him from a pro career this guy's like a manager through and through um and it's just a profile i'd like to see in major league soccer i i, I just i'm really excited to see what what he does with the team going forward. All right. Yeah, man, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, you sold me Mark Dos Santos. Uh, there we go. You've done your homework. <laughs> if nothing uh, else, I, he can manage Harrison's team. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, he could, uh, I, I, I put together all the, all the personnel. He could, he could totally handle the tactics as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's an interesting situation. And so this is kind of why I see why, I, I I could like also being Canadian, I think that has a lot to do with maybe Vancouver's interest in him, and I don't I don't blame them. I think that kind of thing matters uh, towards an identity, and uh, yeah. So if they felt like San Jose was about to steal their guy, um, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't sacrifice Carl Robinson for him. That's just my thoughts on the issue. I also feel I think that's a really good point about identity because um, you know Canada only has three teams, and I feel like there's a little bit. <laughs> There, there's a little bit, they don't get as big of a cut of the pie as some of the other teams. It's not like Colorado. It's not like, you know, uh, LA's and Portland, Seattle. It, it Vancouver kind of feels slighted at, at, at every kind of stop. Um, so, yeah, I think that, yeah, that, they do. that makes so, sense. Just because they don't have a good identity. Like, I, I don't want to overly criticize Carl Robinson. Like, I don't, I think that, there can come a time where a coach and a team have gone as far as they're ever going to go. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad coach. Uh, I, I think Vancouver got there a year ago, two years ago, even um, because I don't see much of an identity beyond just being this team that crosses and just always kind of finishes wherever in the playoffs, you know, they just, just middle of the table, middle of the road block team. I don't know. I feel like giving them this identity, bringing in this kind of coach, um, that, that has this sort of personality, this kind of charisma. And I, I think this sort of like tactical, uh, you know, uh, uh, di- uh, nuance to him, I, I think could actually give Vancouver fans like something like uh, to, to grab onto, like as an identity for the team. And I think that that's something that this organization uh, really needs right now. No, I think that that's solid, dude. Uh, one other shout out, you know, well, yeah. maybe a couple, you know, they, there's going to be some opportunities for a lot of other coaches. I think Robin Frazier's definitely going to get courted this offseason. Uh, yeah, you'd be crazy. Somebody would be crazy not to call him. Like, that's who the LA Galaxy should get. I know they're going to probably bring in some goose heating or whatever. Uh, but I, I think he would be a good coach in a place like that. I feel like there's a lot of really interesting coaches across the spectrum, both from Europe, from South America, uh, from Mexico that have just kind of, that are unattached right now. They, it, it really comes at a really strange time with all these other MLS jobs. I feel like we're going to see a lot of international managers more so than what we've seen in the past, uh, kind of start to, uh, make their way and migrate into, uh, MLS. And I think that we're going to see some really interesting uh, changes, uh, not just uh, in who they um, kind of associate with and the players that they're going to acquire, but also the tactical differences from all the different leagues that are going to start infiltrating. Uh, it, it, it's going to be different. I, I really strongly feel there's going to be some different flavors for different teams that uh, come from different parts of the world. And uh, I, I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And I mean, when you've got this much, 
I think for a long time, Major League Soccer teams kind of believe this narrative that like, oh, foreign coaches don't succeed in Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer is a very insular community. It's a very insular thing. You have to be very inside MLS to understand, um, you know, the Byzantine like <laughs> well, eccentricities, mean... let's say, of the, of the rule system. And I think guys like Tata Martino and Patrick Vieira kind of came in and just busted that narrative to bits. So like now that that's all on the board again. Uh, yeah. See, but see, and and I, I'm of two minds. I agree with that, but I don't agree with that at the same time. I've been of the idea that international managers making the transition, who have the sole responsibility of both fielding a team and managing that team, uh, are are done a disservice because of all the different intricacies of MLS. When you pair them with uh, somebody that understands the league and they all they have to do is manage a team, manage the people, put together its tactics, that in and of itself, but trying to dual hat things, I think early on, especially you had a couple scenarios to where uh, just uh, managers were hamstrung trying to get their their type of players into this league. Yeah. And, that, that, and I, I don't want to say they, they just were – it's not like they were incompetent or they were dumb or they were slow. It wasn't anything so uh, so stupid or silly in that capacity. I just think that it was it was difficult because there's more hurdles that they had to jump over uh, with not just the league office but understanding the mechanisms uh, that they had to go through. And just – I mean, Julian Gressel's been in the league for what? 18 months, two years almost. And he even talked about how they're overly complex from a player perspective. And that's just from a player perspective. Um, You know, a manager coming in and being responsible in, you know, hey, you have two uh, transfer windows to be successful. Good luck. Um, That's a lot to take on. Well, and even if they are able to get in their kind of players, like they maybe don't quite fully grasp the trade-off that you have to make by acquiring resources like that in this league so it, it's uh yeah but but i think we're moving past it i think as, as the roster rules i don't know it, and i think that's a good thing i think as as we become more transparent as a league it yeah. does allow other people and yeah tata martino he said hey get me these players to the yeah. Atlanta front office and said, hey, <laughs> yeah. I want this player. Hey, I want this. You know, and, and Darren Neals and his staff and, you know, Carlos Bocanegra and, you know, uh, you know, Lucy Rashawn, they can all just sit down and say, how do we get him the players that he wants? Yeah. From a, a- from an executive staff perspective. And I think that's that's exactly how that relationship should work. And, you know, you, you see that also in Seattle to where, you know, when Garth Lagerwey was brought in, it was because he knew the league. You know, TFC did the same thing with hiring certain executives from the, uh, from the league office. And, you know, uh, Nelson Rodriguez with Chicago has been the same way. Uh, while it hasn't necessarily been as smooth and Chicago's had its own set of problems, you know, he's definitely had... Uh, some opportunities to, you know, manipulate the cap and, and do the things to put uh, Chicago in a really pot, in a better spot than what they deserve to be in. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it's true. And, and for MLS to grow, it, it sort of has to um, reduce some of this bloat <laughs> in their, in their, in their sort of, of stipulations. You know, the, the, if you want more people to be able to come cook, like you got to simplify the recipe and put it online so everyone can read it. Um. All right, new coaches. That's exciting stuff. But we have this year stuff to think about, and uh, that's playoffs. And we are part of our series. We are taking a, a slightly deep dive on each of the playoff teams, one from the east, one from the west, each week. You want to start in the east this week? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. All right, let's talk about the team I know. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about them. You know I love them. Uh, The New York Red Bulls, they're currently uh, sitting in second place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Their playoff chances, uh, we have a probability of 100%. Very good. Uh, That's 14.8% chance of the number one seed. Uh, 84.2% chance of the number two seed. Uh, That's probably where they're going to be. 99% chance for a first round buy. And still, again, that 14.8% chance at the Supporters' Shield. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I said that it was going to be Atlanta. You said you thought Red Bulls would pull it off. Have you, have you uh, 
have you have you changed your mind at all since then <laughs> no I, I i still think it's possible um it's looking more and more like you're correct like atlanta is going to hold on to this uh this lead i, I you know, it doesn't diminish the fact that the Red Bulls are a very good team, right? And they've been a, a little bit uh, unlucky in some parts. And I think I still am convinced that they are gearing up for the MLS Cup. I think that is the ultimate goal of this organization. Um, it, yeah, absolutely. And so that, I, I, if I was a betting man, um, that's where I think their concentration lies right now. Um so, yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about the Red Bulls, I think we both kind of do it with a smile because this is a team that really builds wealth. It just builds smart, that that, that, that has an academy system that works. Um, you know, there's a clear pipeline there. that um, has, <clears throat> again, a tactical identity. Uh, they had a remarche that was very, very specific. Armas has changed things up a little bit, mostly just like a tweak, um, but it has... Um, altered the way the team plays, but it hasn't altered their ability to get results and their ability to be effective. Um, so when I ask you, when I say like, <clears throat> when I when I say the the Red Bull system, like, what what comes to mind for you? High pressure, antagonistic, um, terrible passing, <laughs> shots, shots, shots. Lots of shots, lots of moving the ball forward. Um, formationally, you know, they're they're always lining up. I guess in that four two three one. Um, it looks like they've done a couple other things, but mainly this is this is who they are and this is who they're going to be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I think having a striker like BWP allows you to kind of, uh, you know, and not just, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips, but that entire spine, right? Aaron Long, Tim Parker, Luis Robles. Um, you got uh, uh, Kaku and Tyler Adams and Sean Davies. That entire spine is just so stagnant and there every game um it, it allows you to kind of change out a few things experiment here and there um, maybe create a little bit of width where you need to maybe be a little bit more compact in other occasions and uh yeah i think it's it's been really effective for them you know when you look at a team like this and you see them get rid of somebody like sasha question who is who was a huge part of the new york red bull success in the last couple of years um you know assist king uh, just just a, a playmaker, just a, a huge part of that, and then he's gone. And you think, okay, well, you know, the Bulls are going to struggle. And then Dax McCarty, like the captain, like he, he goes, and you're like, oh, okay, New York Red Bulls aren't going to be able to, that, that's going to cause a blip. They have not had any blips. They just move players on when they're done with them. They bring in new people. Uh, they promote kids, and it's been seamless. It, it really is just a fantastic, uh, it's just such a well-run organization from a standpoint of like cost benefit and how much efficiency they're getting out of their, um, their payroll. No, I, 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 I absolutely agree. I mean, this, it doesn't matter if, you know, as you said, um, and everybody's mind goes to, you know, Dax McCarty, Sasha Kluschen, Um, but really, I mean, if you look about this, uh, back line, this back line over the last like three years has just been completely rebuilt. Um, that, that, that we, we can continue to talk about how, you know, they're great in turning the ball over. They're really great at creating opportunities. I mean, they're second in MLS and expected goals, but their defense has been really good. That back line has been really good. Tim Parker was a hell of a, uh, a, a trade for them this offseason. It was exactly what they needed, and it stabilized a lot of pieces. Yeah, you look at this back line of Aaron Long and Tim Parker, and you know Aaron Long not long ago was a he was a USL guy. I mean, I think he was bouncing around Seattle and like their S two team for a bit and got passed on. And now this is one of the best center backs in the league, like no question. I don't think anybody would argue that. Um, you know, Tim Parker was in Vancouver and. Uh, people would kind of question that trade. Philippe was such a big part of that identity too in the New York Red Bulls and like his kind of work rate. And uh, <clears throat> they've just gone from strength to strength. Uh, if there's one disappointment, I, I expected to be more surprised by, um, I thought we'd see more of Carlos Rivas and Tommy Redding. I feel like that trade was more about getting question off the books than it was acquiring those players. But I, I thought we might see some Red Bulls magic with those two and see them suddenly click into play. Yeah, Carlos Rivas especially. I really expected to see more of him. I thought that he would be a really interesting um, 
replacement um, out on the wings. Um, not necessarily for Daniel Royer, but uh, just in, in lieu of, uh, you know, cutting Mike Grella this offseason. So uh, really surprised that he hasn't shown up uh, with 500 minutes. But, you know, it's gi- given Derek uh, Entienne, uh an opportunity. And that's that's been really great. It's given, you know, some of these different guys like Florian Velo an, op- an opportunity to step up. You know, um, I... I I think this is just a really intelligently uh, run organization. They're so, so adept at just identifying talent and, you know, giving guys an opportunity to fight for, op- for, uh, for their minutes. And, you know, it's such a cliche uh, in a lot of different ways, but, um, you know, iron sharpeneth iron. I'm a strong believer when you put two guys that are probably average uh, MLS players, you know, average bench players, and, you know, you let them fight it out, there's one that's probably going to come to the top. And uh, it doesn't hurt to have depth. All right. Uh, let's take a look at kind of how they finished up or how they're kind of doing MLS-wise this year. Uh, overall possession, 49.5%. That's pretty. That's what it is. Uh, the expected passing uh, for is negative 300 or is 374. Um, against is 539. Expected goals for uh, 53.6 second MLS, like you mentioned. Uh, expected goals against 37.9 is fifth best in Major League Soccer. Um, and that, of course, gives an expected goal difference of 15.7 second best in Major League Soccer, which is ironically right where they are. Um, you know, I, seeing that sort of passing for being last uh, and that passing against being first, is that is that surprising to you at all? Um, what was really surprising to me was the the passing against, which was so much higher uh, than anyone else. They just are completely disruptive uh, of the opponents, and that's in large part to Tyler Adams and what he does. Um, I, I'm not gonna lie; I have I've been really slow to jump on that Tyler Adams train. I think he's really a fun watch, and I think he does some things that are really intelligent. But I don't quite. I don't buy that he's as as ahead as what people say, but looking at this, the the passing scores against and and kind of diving into it, you start to see. Okay, I'm starting to see what where some people are drinking their Kool Aid. Like I, I I'm starting to get some of that, and then vice versa. You look at you know and sorry, I'm gonna spoil a little bit of your fun. The the top expected buildup it was Tyler Adams. That definitely came as a shock. To me, I didn't expect him to be so uh, high up in the the buildup, and uh, yet there he is. You know, twentieth in MLS. Um, he's done a lot for this team, and uh, everybody goes ahead and talks about it. But sometimes it's really hard uh, to say. Well, you know, he's a really hard runner. Okay, well, there's a lot of guys that run in MLS really hard. What does he do that's concretely uh, that that we can see and visually? Um, you know, identify as traits that, you know, are leading to production or leading to something profitable for the Red Bulls as a team. Well, and and this is right here. This is, this for me was some type of uh, physical evidence that that I could identify, uh, which was really nice. It's, um, yeah. He, he he's a very intelligent young man and he's another guy that, that will probably be moving on soon. And, um, <clears throat> the rebels will have to re- uh, replace, and um, though they might not get a like for like player, I, I, I think given their their track record, you know, they'll find someone else to kind of go in that hole too. So, uh, yeah, yeah, as you did say, top expected goals from the team: Tyler Adams, top expected goals, no surprise. Bradley Wright Phillips, fourteen point six, currently fifth in Major League Soccer. Uh, that guy just does not slow down. Uh, top expected assists: uh, Kaku, uh, six point four, twentieth in Major League Soccer. And the uh, best ex-passer on the team, Tim Parker, 19.9. And he is 108th in Major League Soccer, which isn't uh, too surprising on that. Um, <clears throat> I don't have it in front of me, but I feel like Bradley Wright Phillips also chipped in with more expected assists than he usually does this season. Yeah, not just uh, expected assists, but his expected passing was up across the board. Um, they, uh, it was irregular. Um, it's definitely a change in their tactics, um, leveraging Bradley Wright Phillips. And it's why Daniel Royer has been so good this year is uh, Bradley Wright Phillips has been able to draw that attention and been able to dish off uh, kind of that give and go type, uh, that type of uh, uh, transitional uh, offense and attack. Yeah. All right. Let's break it down. Time for this, my favorite part 
with these team breakdowns. Give me one reason why the New York Rebels will not make Major League Soccer Cup Final, Harrison. They can't break other teams down. I feel like this is the narrative that gets repeated a lot. And those that followed, uh, you know, Champions League kind of saw that sometimes they just have a difficulty creating opportunities. Yeah, they're kind of a team that, that feasts or famines on that counterattack. Um, I can see that. I can really see that. Um, my one reason is Atlanta. <laughs> and that's just it. I just if they're if they don't make major league if they don't make the the MLS Cup final, it it, it will be because Atlanta did. I think uh, <clears throat> they they tend to play each other very close. Um, I, if it comes down to it, I think that's going to be a, a very good series. Um, and, and yeah, I really think only Atlanta can kind of stand in their way at this point. I'm really um, excited for this game this weekend. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, tell me one reason, Harrison, why they will make the MLS Cup final. So last week I said uh, something similar to the Sporting Kansas City, and I, I corrected myself. I said Sporting Kansas City was the best organized team in the West Coast, on the in the Western Conference, because the best organized team, the best teamwork, the best team is right here. New York Red Bulls are the best team. They are from top to bottom. They will beat you. And they it's not one player. It's not Bradley Wright Phillips that will beat you. It is the entire team. It's not Kaku, uh, Kaku that will beat you. It's not Daniel Royer that will beat you. It's not Tyler Adams the entirety of this team just works together as in a, just a lethal machine. And look, sometimes it's not pretty and sometimes it's, it's nigh unwatchable, but they will break. They, they are, they are the, that uh, Russian from uh, Rocky four. I will break you. Uh, <laughs> I can't keep it. Not break you down, but just break you. It right. won't be pretty. And, and see, what, and see what they lack in, and sometimes skill play. I mentioned this on Lowered Expectations, I think it was last week, and it was Kaku not necessarily doing anything uh, brilliant and shiny and this beautiful way of creating space. And No, he basically just cut it to the end line, found a sliver opening, and just passed it to that opening, hoping that there was going to be someone that stepped into there. And with the elite movement that is Bradley Wright Phillips, he stepped into that hole before uh, DC United guys could drop in, and he managed to create an opportunity. Now, the opportunity didn't score, but that's irrelevant. It's the high opportunity chances when these teams get compact. They're not beautiful uh, team and in, in being able to break down teams and tactically move players around and create space, but they will just, out of sure volume and willpower, break the other team. They will physically dominate them. They will steal the ball. They will take that ball. They will create an opportunity off of it. And it's going. It's it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, the question is whether or not it it's going to be successful. And that's that that's that's why I think they could get to MLS Cup. Cut like a hammer. I like it. Um, all right. For me, <clears throat> my reason why they will make MLS Cup is Atlanta. Uh, I think, You're such a cheater. I you, <laughs> do, do you even do the homework that I give you? No, not at all. Uh, yeah, I think Atlanta. If I, I think they're going to mess up, maybe. And I think Rebels will uh, will, will will be the uh, the welcome recipients of that. But uh, assuming that doesn't happen, they still have plenty of ability to to do it on their own. Like you said, um, a lot of times these kinds of games end up being very uh, cagey affairs and. Um, you know that that quick break ability, that 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 just sheer willpower they have uh, to keep running into that wall over and over again. You know, I do think that they can just win uh, games of attrition with some of these teams, um, and especially a team uh, like Atlanta. So uh, they're definitely one of my favorites to go through, but but they're going to have to go through Atlanta still. <laughs> well, right. I mean, they are they are the second best. I mean, it's not even it's yeah, it's, it's almost indisputable. These yeah. are the two best teams, and everybody mm-hmm. else uh, is. There's a gap between these two teams. Yes, there is. Um, all right, let's go west. Our favorite subject, Harrison. One of our classic 
I always feel okay. really bad because we ob- we are obnoxiously a West Coast podcast. Uh, I don't know. I think we've been very East Coast this year because so much more exciting stuff's been happening over there. Um, but okay. we are agree we are, to disagree. <clears throat> we are moving to the West right now, as it is part of the segment. Um, our favorite subject to talk about. It's a subject of a classic American soccer analysis show episode of the podcast <laughs> last year, in which we said to Dallas fans, "Don't panic. You're going to be fine." Boy, were we wrong. Uh, let's talk about FC Dallas once again. First place in the West. Playoff chances 100%. Good as you can get. A 48.6% chance at that number one seed. 31.6% at number two. 15.7% uh, chance at number three. Uh, very much going to be in those three. Be very surprised to go them out. 80.2% chance at a first round buy. And get this, Harrison. 0.1% chance at a supporter shield. There's still a chance. Still a chance. Hey, you know, if Atlanta loses out and New York drops a bunch of points and Dallas wins out, yeah, and you anything know, anything can happen. It's the major league soccer. Hey, the uh, moon landing was fake, so anything can happen. That's right. Um, all right, when we talk about football club Dallas, uh, when I say that to you, what, what, what do you think of Harrison, Maxi, or Rudy, and um a bevy of good and bad things about him. <laughs> uh, he is a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performer, isn't he? Um, situationally, systemally, uh, you know, FC Dallas, uh, also a four-two-three-one. Um, man, I'm really hoping to get some of these other coaches from around the world in here to break up these formations a little bit. But and but they're oddly really committed to that front four, right? Um, to having a, a one striker and then kind of maybe uh, advanced wingers, sometimes not advanced wingers, with somebody kind of uh, lying uh, a deep lying mid, or I shouldn't say deep lying midfielder, but a deep lying forward that drops into the midfield and helps kind of uh, build up. That passing kind of plays as a playmaker, but not really in the traditional 10 sense. Um, it, it, it's weird because since they lost Mario Diaz, they've kind of rotated uh, Rolanda Lamar. They've tried to do uh, Mascarita uh, there. They've tried to put a Rudy there. They've done a lot of different things, and, and none of it makes a lot of sense. Like I don't, I I would almost. It makes more sense to me to put uh, like this uh, three base midfield, uh, maybe even a a flat three, similar to what Seattle has done sometimes, um, and just leave. Say, hey, you three forwards, go forward. We're gonna take care of just disrupting this central midfield. Um, we're gonna spray balls out wide to you. You just create as you can. And they seem really committed to trying to do some sort of buildup. This is a team for me that is very... I, I don't know how they're in first place. And I know that's going to sound negative, and I don't mean it to... It actually... It's a, it's a compliment in a way, because they managed to just succeed kind of generally. I, I don't... I, there's not I, I, I've thought about this. I've thought I about don't this. Think they're particularly I'm right there with you. At, yeah, I don't think they're particularly good at anything. It seems like this might be like the case like what we had with Toronto last year where, you know, they were just pretty good at a lot of things and that made them a great team. Um I don't think they're quite that good, but <clears throat> I can't argue with the fact that, you know, they are the 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 the, the top team in the West right now. So they're, they're doing something right. Um, I think they've got a good back line. Generally speaking, I love Reggie Cannon. Um, Matt Hedges is always solid. Um, you know, I think those have become two extremely important players. Um, you know, offensively, they do. They have changed a lot. Like they've they've switched it up since they lost Mauro Diaz. Um, but it seems like Mosquera is a good player. It's it. it but I, I just I if you ask me to explain what makes FC Dallas succeed, um, you know, in a couple of sentences, I would be unable to do so. All right, so I knew you were going to go this way with this because you and I are are <laughs> well, in step I, with this. this. Yeah, we're in step and almost always wrong with FC Dallas. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's not necessarily what's wrong with them, right? Because I, I, you hit the nail on the head, right? They are an above average team and an above average team at a lot of different things, and then you add luck 
to an above average team and it pushes you further. Um, and, and especially in a Western conference that has um, so many teams that are just above average, that's, a, that's sometimes that's a differentiator. I think uh, the, the conclusions to Toronto and the analogies to their season last year are kind of similar. I thought uh, Toronto was, you know, they were really good at, a, at basically everything, more so than what uh, tr- Dallas is really good at a lot of things. Toronto was basically good at everything. And, and then they had luck on top of that, and they had uh, the roster that was deep. So they had two different fold uh, circumstances that just propelled them so much further and than the rest of the league. Here with Dallas for the Western Conference, all they have to be is an above-average team. We see that with expected goals, right? Like they're just—they're keeping their heads above water pretty easily, and then you sprinkle a little bit of luck. No one marks Matt Hedges on the back post, uh, and he's able to steal three points in Vancouver at the end of a game. I mean, I don't want—I don't mean to simplify it and to to make it feel like Dallas uh, unworthily is in first place. Um, they've done everything that they've needed to in the second half to win games. They've pressed all the the magic buttons, and look, you say this week in week out. It's better to be uh, what is it? It's better to be it's better lucky, to be lucky and, and good. It's than better just to be lucky. lucky than good, but it's best to be both. There you are. <laughs> that and th- that that just sums up Dallas. I thought about this a lot the last few days, and that just kind of um, that just is Dallas's season, and that's okay. I don't think that they're a team that's built for the playoffs. Um, but going back to the start of the season, we kind of said their spine has they, their spine just has to be consistent. Right. Um, we talked about Hedges. We talked about Grizo. We talked about uh, Victor Yoa. We talked about um, Arudi. And we just said these guys have to be consistent. And they have yeah. been sort of. Sort of. Uh, for the most part. Yeah. I, I don't think you can. Arudi is what he is, right? Like he is. Um, he, <laughs> he is. Uh, two things. Uh, he's a hand grenade and he's a sniper rifle all at once. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of the nature of the beast with him, but he's out on the field and every game while he will make two or three blunders, he'll also make a game changing run or he'll make a game changing pass or he'll find a way to make a shot, uh, to create a shot in the box out of nothing. And you, you just need those guys. Yeah, I think that Arudi is a fascinating forward, and I don't think that Arudi could be successful if he was anything other than what he is. Um, and I, I think he's right for FC Dallas. I think that he's shown himself to be. I, I don't think that they, that position can't be improved for them, but uh, for this team at this moment in time, um, he's one of the guys I'd pick for it. So, you know, obviously uh, FC Dallas, you know, not nearly as dominant in the West as New York and Atlanta have had to be in the East. And certainly there have been a lot of teams that have had a chance to, to go past FC Dallas and have just kind of fumbled the ball. Um, so it, it, it's, it's one of those situations where you're right. Like they've done everything they had to do. And that's really all you can ask a team to do. They've, they've done well against the teams that have been put in front of them. Um, so like overall, you know, 49.2 possession for them on the season. Uh, again, pretty average there. Um, Ninth in MLS in expected passing for 15th in MLS in expected passing against uh, expected goals of 44.7. That's 12th highest in the league uh, expected goals against 40.1. That's seventh best in major league soccer. Uh, that's a 4.7 expected goal difference, which is eighth in major league soccer. Um, so they are playing a little bit above their, their model. They're playing a bit above their station. Maybe um, certainly results wise. I, I think, what you said is true. Like these are just pretty middle of the road numbers. They're keeping their head above water, uh, and and they're still winning the race. Yeah, a, a couple of things that stand out, right? Possession number one, um, possession obviously is descriptive, right? So forty nine point two percent. They're kind of a, a counter attacking team, but 
at the same time, like I said, they're really committed to this buildup to where um, at times they're not just hoofing the ball forward. They're taking advantage of some opportunities. So that's why they're kind of a middle-of-the-road uh, possession team, right? Um, and that comes out in their expected passing for where their score is, not is again, above average, but uh, it, it's not necessarily the best in the league. Um, the other thing is their expected passing against hasn't been um, great. It, at 182 isn't... Um, it, it, they're not stopping teams the way that they should be. Uh, teams mostly can handle them. They do kind of sit compact when they don't have the ball. Um, so if they're not going to get, if they're not going to be given the ball, they're not going to take it. Um, and that's usually when they kind of tend to be uh, and kind of gravitate towards being a counterattacking team. Um, so some thoughts there as far as possession and passing go. Yeah. Uh, individually, uh, of course, uh, the aforementioned Maximiliano Arruti uh, is their top expected goals leader, uh, 10, 16th best in Major League Soccer, top expected assist. Uh, Michel Barrios, which is a guy we haven't really talked about a lot, bit, but a very still a, a important part of, of that squad, um, 8.5 expected assist this year, fifth highest in Major League Soccer. Uh, top expected buildup, Reggie Cannon, uh, big role for the young man, uh, 17.25, 37th in Major League Soccer. Uh, for me, this is... This guy, it's been a good season for FC Dallas, and this is still, I think, the the the, the brightest spot um, on, on a very on a very shiny uh, coat of paint for for FC Dallas this year. I've been very impressed with Reggie Canner. Uh Best expected passer: Rito Ziegler, seventy-two point seven, seventh in Major League Soccer. That's actually pretty high. Uh, I don't see Ryan Hong's head on here, so you know. And you, don't have... care. you don't care about anything beyond Ryan Collinson. You are <laughs> Look, uh, Reggie, I, think you, I think you nailed it with Reggie Cannon. Uh, Reggie Cannon is the bright spot this uh, this season. The fact that he's been able to transition to the first team, um, and not that I don't think anybody really questioned that. But you know, there's always the que- There is always when you you don't you're so young and you don't have the experience of being a starter yet, or you haven't yet made that jump as a young player, um, whether or not you can live up to uh, to what your talent is. And there's a lot of players that have a lot of talent um, that just for whatever reason that never clicks for them, they're, na- they're not able to be consistent. Um, a lot of times it's a mental thing. So it's good to see him uh, doing well. Also, uh, you, again, you hit it on the spot, Michael Berrios, uh, 8.5 expected assists, really, really having a great year uh, again, and yeah, a lot of that comes off of, you know, uh, crosses and, you know, stuff that I'm not thrilled with. But, you know, he also has the ability to cut inside and uh, make short, quick passes to a Rudy that has also helped open up some uh, some opportunities as well. And I, I those are my favorite uh, Barrios moments. All right. Let's do it. Final words. One reason why Football Club Dallas will not make... MLS Cup, Harrison. Why don't you go first? Uh, okay, sure. Uh, for me, it's because they're FC Dallas. And uh, I know. I know. It just hasn't happened for them yet. And I'm just not sure this team, like you said, is particularly built well for the playoffs. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I guess to be less, less annoying about saying something like they're FC Dallas, which was just flippant of me they're (laughs) because deep down they aren't a phenomenal team and they're very beatable uh by any of those teams in the western conference i think could could beat them in the two lake series and i I think that one of them will is that better no i think i think that you you kind of nailed it i think that they're they're uh the heights uh, at which they can uh reach are a little bit limited with the with the talent that they currently have and i think that um the frequency that they reach those heights is um, it's not as frequent as they probably would like, or that Oscar Preo would like Um, look, their attack um, has moments of being really good. You know, we just got done saying, you know, what a great year that Michael um, Barrios had this past off or this past season. And, you know, he's kind of underrated. Um, Michael or Maxi Arruti's had a pretty good year, but uh, really, I mean, we've seen, through CCL, through Open Cup, through just various, you know, MLS Cup over the last few years, they just don't play well in tournaments. They don't play in one-game scenarios. Um, just like how uh, Jim Curtin 
the other the other night uh, against Houston just could not adapt, could not change his style to to match what was happening out on the field and to to change up his tactics. It feels like Oscar Perea doesn't do a really good job changing up his tactics, and that because of that, they seem really beatable at times because they're just not able to do the stuff um, that they're good at. All right, now S Dos fans, hit that volume up button again if you, if you already deleted the podcast i'm sorry uh one reason why football club dallas will make the mls cup final harrison this is tough because i i i I, they're so far removed from my thought process as far as being an mls cup contender and and most of that is because they're kind of an average-ish above average team but really if you think about it if they're going to get to the mls cup it has to be that that spine we talked about in the preseason. Um, Hedges has to be as good as what he's what he can be, and that attack um, from really uh, Yoa and Grezo and whoever they have lying uh, in the middle uh, in that quote unquote ten role, and whoever ends up playing striker, whether it's a Rudy or whether it's uh, uh, Mascara, that has. Those guys have to create turnovers. They have to get down and create high uh, high leverage opportunities. That's how they're going to get to the MLS Cup is being basically a counterattacking team that is uh, so good at creating turnovers. And uh, um, they kind of abandon this idea of trying to to play build up soccer. They they, they just got to they got to embrace that um, that tactical uh, flavor that they were when Oscar Perea had first come and when he was in Colorado to where it was just they played with reckless abandonment on the counter and I feel like Dallas is trying to evolve but I don't feel like they're they're really good at that yeah I know that that's not that was like a compu salt wasn't it (laughs) yeah you didn't really get yeah Uh, they're going to make MLS Cup when they're when they're counter-attacking team steps up to the plate when they step into what they're good at and that is being on the break and creating just chaos and havoc in transition that's when they get to mls cup i like it all right for me one reason why fc dallas will make mls cup final because they're fc dallas i did it again i did the same answer for both i I Um, see i see that i see that i see what you're doing it's got nice little things there uh, because they're FC Dallas, because it's time. Because, of course, they would the year that nobody thinks they will. They they didn't the years everyone thought they would. Uh, I think this is the perfect year uh, for a very, very low-key uh, Western Conference. Uh, just as I said that any of those teams could beat FC Dallas, FC Dallas can also beat any of these other teams in the Western Conference. Like It's not a strong field compared to how it has been. Um, yeah, I, I think that this is as good of a year uh, as any, and, and maybe one of the better chances for them to actually go through with it. There you go. CFC Dallas fans are cool. You guys like me? Yeah, I, I nailed it. Uh, honestly, <laughs> no, it's it's very accurate. There, this is a very winnable field, and you know um, they have a really interesting backline in defense. That um, when they show up, I know that uh, Gonzalez has made some some mistakes when he goes out there, and of course, you know he hasn't necessarily always been the first choice uh, keeper this year. Um, so. Um, Jimmy Mowers had his share of opportunities as kind of Oscar Perea kind of tends to gravitate towards uh, giving both uh, keepers an opportunity, which is kind of an under-talked-about uh, thing that he does. Uh, but, yeah, totally fair. Totally fair. But, uh, you know, um, I think it's kind of who has the hot hand and if that uh, that defense, you know, that defense can be really good sometimes, and sometimes they're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's very possible for you this year, FC Dallas, I believe. I believe. Um, all right, we did it. That's our breakdown this week. We'll be back next week. Do we know what teams yet we have? Do we have those scheduled? Uh, NYCFC and LAFC. Oh, some FCs. Imagine that. Um, big market teams. Uh, that'll be interesting to talk about. I do love talking about NYCFC, so we'll have fun with that. Um, that's I don't all. feel like we've talked very much about LAFC this year. We haven't. And I I was actually weirdly going to write about that last week, about how LAFC just sort of went off everybody's radar for a couple months there. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, they're still playing well. They're still very much in the picture. 
Um, but yeah, it'll be good to kind of collect my thoughts on them and, and, and hopefully share them with, with the listeners next week and hopefully they will be good coherent thoughts. So look um, out for that guys. If you're listening, click, <laughs> click, 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 click for those coherent thoughts. Uh, that is all we have time for this week. Um, we'll be back next week as always. Thank you to my co-host Harrison Crow. You can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. You can find me on Twitter at a handle for Ian. Uh, please follow American Soccer Analysis on Twitter. That handle is at Analysis Evolved. And please visit the website www.americansocceranalysis.com. A lot of content going up this week. I say it every week. Every week it's true. It's never been more true than this week. Go check it out the second you stop listening to this podcast and, and go back a number of times throughout the week. We like to see those clicks. Uh, we do appreciate it. Uh, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer. Breakups, infidelity, death, and of course, divorce. But even if, and even if, you find a perfect partner, eventually one of you will beat the other to the grave. What a shame. So in the best case same time.